This episode of the Anti-Heroes Podcast with Zach Blair is presented by Thunder Road Guitars. Thunder Road Guitars is the Pacific Northwest's best source for premium, new, used, and vintage guitars, amplifiers, and pedals. Online or in their Seattle and Portland shops, you'll find fantastic customer service and a terrific vibe. I personally always make a stop at Thunder Road Guitars in Seattle. Uh, they're a great bunch of guys, and it's just not a complete Seattle trip unless I go and say hi and see what uh, wonderful stuff they have. These are real people offering real service, folks. Uh, use code ANTIHEROES10 to get 10% off at www.thunderroadguitars.com and tell them I sent you. Hey guys, this is Zach from the Anti-Heroes Podcast, and I want to welcome our newest sponsor to the show, DistroKid. DistroKid helps musicians get their music on all the major streaming platforms, and artists keep 100% of their royalties. Can you believe that? Anti-Heroes listeners get 30% off at distrokid.com slash VIP slash Anti-Heroes. Again, that's distrokid.com slash VIP slash Anti-Heroes. Thank you so much and support all the folks at DistroKid because they're they're doing amazing work and we couldn't be happier to have them on board. I'd like to take a moment to thank our sponsors over at Jim Dunlop and MXR Pedals. We couldn't be luckier to have these guys on board with us. I personally use these products and you should too. Find out more about them at jimdunlop.com. Let's get on to the podcast. To the Anti Heroes Podcast with your host, Zach Blair. I am Zach Blair, the guy I was just talking about. How's it going? Uh, for those that don't know, this is a guitar podcast where I get to talk to guitar players that I like, that I've always liked, that I've always been interested in. Uh, guys that maybe don't get as enough guitar exposure in the guitar press and all the guitar magazines, but they're doing really interesting things. They have their own unique voice. And maybe, uh, and I just want to talk to him. I want to pick their brain. Today is definitely that case. This is Mr. Dan Gallucci. Uh, if you don't know Dan, Dan played in the Murder City Devils, amazing band. He played in Modest Mouse. He played in the Cold War Kids. Dan wrote the intro guitar riff to the Modest Mouse song, Float On. And if you know, know that song, then you've been under a rock. Uh, just ubiquitous guitar riff. So we get into that. We talk about that. And I mean, how amazing is that? You know, that, that riff, you could play that riff anywhere in the world and everyone would know what that song was. Just amazing. And, and that that's never not going to be interesting to me. I misspeak a bit in this at, toward the end where, uh, I, you know, Modest Mouse also had Johnny Marr, uh, the Johnny Marr, uh, the Smiths, uh, an amazing guitar player. Uh, influential guitar player play with Modest Mouse for quite a while. He actually replaced Dan and like a moron, I thought that they were sort of in the band at the same time. And shame, uh, bad Zach, because, you know, I should know better than that. And I do know better than that. I'm better than that, folks. That's the kind of dorky shit that I know. And that's 
my fun at parties trick. Anyway, I hope you enjoy this interview and, uh, you know, pick up all things Dan Gallucci because uh, what a great guitar player. So, yeah, here's here's my interview with Dan Gallucci. Hi, how are you? How you doing, buddy? Um, I'm doing good. We've never met in person, and so it's really nice to meet here. No, in fact, I was trying to think if we had ever like played a festival or something together. We had to have played festivals, and I know it seems like it. I feel like in the '90s, um, I had a band called Hagfish. We might have played Bills with Murder City Devils. I remember uh, that name, yeah, very so well. We, so. I don't we remember did like much kind of, from the nineties, but yeah, <laughs> we would do. I know shit. We would do like, you know, tours with the Super Suckers, or we would tour oh, yeah, with yeah. like or Zeke, or you know, we would tour mm-hmm. with similar bands from up you guys' way, and then yeah. I, we might have actually played a Seattle show together. At, I want to say it. Oh, it it sounds really familiar to me, and yeah. we did. Uh, we ended up doing two tours. With Zeke and one tour with the Super Suckers pretty early on when we started. And they were kind of like, you know, they were at such a different place in their careers and or their, you know, just their music making. Um, And so, like, especially with the Super Suckers, I mean, Zeke's kind of grumpy, that band in general. Uh, Not in general. I shouldn't say that. Jeff's really sweet. And obviously he's really sweet. But, you know, Mark can be kind of grumpy. So Yeah, yeah. But, man. uh, We didn't. Talk about a guitar player. Holy he, shit. Yeah, he's insane. Jesus we used to just sit there and like stare at him playing guitar. It's, like, Yeah, it's bananas. Yeah. It's otherworldly. And you mentioned Jeff uh, Matz, who you share. Uh, Cody Willis, your drummer, is in High on Fire with you. And Jeff, I've known for 30 years, and he's what a sweet, amazing human being that guy is. He I is. love him. I only run into him every once in a while. I can't even remember how many years it's been since the last time. But yeah, he's always been just... They called him the kid when oh, yeah. he yeah, yeah. with Zeke. And I don't know. If, yeah. He yeah. was just really sweet. He was always he, kind of stoned and sweet. <laughs> he, yeah, he kind of stoned. That's a perfect way. He, he got the kid nickname because he used to live in Fort Collins, Colorado, and mm-hmm. he was in a band called Wretch Like Me. And that all that whole scene centered around Bill Stevenson from The Descendants and Black Flag and oh, all. Okay. And okay. Bill produced my records, Hackfish. Oh, and cool. then yeah, and then I played in a band with Bill and that band toured with Rise Against and he produced Rise Against and he still produces my records. So he wow. Jeff Jeff had lived there and everybody called him the kid because he was the youngest you know, in yeah. the scene sort of. So we anyway, had a couple of those. Yeah. Yeah. Those guys. <laughs> but, um, so yeah, that, so we had to have crossed paths back then if we didn't actually play shows together. And then, yeah. so that sort of but to go before that, what was the history, your history of guitar playing? Like, how did you kind of get started? Well, um, my, really the first time I played guitar was, um, my, mom uh i went to a catholic school and so um one of the priests taught guitar and so when i was seven i think i was probably seven um i was in first or second grade so uh she was like well you know you can take guitar lessons and i was like that's great because i love music so much but I didn't know anything about playing music and um i took like two lessons and it was like in the weird 
dark room above the like church and yeah. you could there's a window showing out to the playground where everyone was playing right. Alan recess and i was just sitting in there trying to figure out how to finger pick a nylon nylon string guitar and i was like <laughs> right. very quickly i was like eh, i don't think so i mean yeah. thankfully the priest wasn't creepy but like right. <laughs> yeah <laughs> it could have been worse that, that's could have been much that's, worse yeah yeah, yeah. could have been could have been worse yeah but yeah. then um i got a guitar when i was 14 and um I took one lesson from a friend and then um, as soon as I could kind of like move back and forth quickly enough, which was after that first lesson, I just played E and C and E and C and E and C until I could move my fingers in the right place. And right. when I could do that, I was done with lessons because yeah. I, I just like to want, I, I, all I wanted to do was like doodle around on it and make yeah. songs and yeah. so. Yeah. Well, let's face it. If you know ENC, you're kind of all the way there. You know what I mean? <laughs> I mean, it was kind of I like mean, there are a lot of shapes that are really, yeah, exactly. So, and what it really what it was for me was it gave me the confidence to know that like the basics, if I just practice them, right. then I would be able to get them. It just would take time, right? And so, and, and right. I wasn't really, uh, you know, like I liked, so I liked some metal. But a lot of stuff that I really, really liked, especially when I got into punk, which was around that, around then, like 13, 14, mm -hmm. the stuff I liked wasn't, didn't tread. There was no. Right, right, right. So, you know, obviously, like, I, like, Guy was my favorite yeah. guitar uh, player at, at that time, player. just because yeah. the way he would. I liked Ian too, but I love the way he stabbed at it and just mm -hmm. had this like ferocity in it. Yeah. Um, and I really love Right to Spring. So there was just all this, like, there's. I think it kind of depends on where you are. Tell me if I'm talking too much, by the way. No, please, um, please, because it, it's saving me from talking so much because I, <laughs> I will. Whoa, let me go, boy. Yeah. <laughs> I feel the same way about me. Yeah. Um, I, uh, But you know how, like, I don't know if, if, the, if it was the same for you. Are you from Fort Collins? Is that... No, 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 no. I just, I'm just there. So I've been going there since 1995 to record records. So I feel like I'm from there, but I, I'm actually all Texas, which you can tell okay. my, my stupid accent. Um, <laughs> I, I can barely hear it. Oh, Jesus Christ. Uh, I wish I could barely hear it. Um, but I'm, I'm in Austin now, but I'm from like a town, North Texas and blah, blah, blah. Oh, okay. Okay. So, yeah, yeah I mean, I just feel like every, I don't know. Um, I'm, I'm 47. So I'm, I'm 48. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, okay. Very similar. So yeah. I, I'm sure it was the same for you. And I was in high school. I think like Dookie got released in, right when I graduated. Okay. And so um, that was the first time a punk band that we knew of and would like go see because they were like Oakland punks and like sure. um, that got really big. So when I was in high school, there were like four kids at one high school over here and three kids at this high school over here and two over here. And that was the punk scene where we were. It was, wasn't a scene in my school. It was just a scene right. where we would meet people. That's where I met the Merge city devils singer Spencer and okay. a bunch of friends I, that I still have. Um, so we kind of fixated on certain things. And one of them was DC, which I know is a lot of people. Um, so everything that came out of DC was like a big deal to us. Right. And like, you know, like I loved lungfish. And oh, sure, sure. I you mean, know, I, I, I love this because I've never heard anyone. And, and, and by the way, this is a travesty. Mention Guy Pichotto 
being their one of their main influences, if not their main influence. I think that's genius because you don't, and I'm guilty of this too, you don't think of him being the guitar player in Fugazi. You always think of mm-hmm. Ian McKay. And, and, you know, then of course, for like, as you're talking, I'm thinking like, what a fucking idiot. Gipi Shoto's absolutely this predominant, awesome, cool guitar player. And what a rad, what an amazing guitar player he is. And even his gear choices, I remember he used that that weird park amplifier, uh-huh. which was yeah. like, you know, and then he had the mm-hmm. Rickenbacker. And he'd always use the black. Oh. Yeah, the 360. Oh. Like, what a fucking cool guitar player. So that's fascinating to me. I'm so, yeah, this is great. Well, I think I really liked, I think I was drawn to people who could communicate a lot with a little Sure, and sure. One of the things that I loved about his guitar playing is I always felt like Ian wrote these like very catchy lines and really cool. Like it, it just they were very almost smooth sometimes. And just how right. he also like seems to have perfect rhythm. I don't I'll never yeah. fully understand how uh, he's just really good. And yeah, in that yeah. sense, and he held it down. But then he added all this fucked up shit to it yeah that I, I really love and it's easy to forget because he would often not play guitar and or not often but sometimes on stage and stuff you wouldn't play guitar and but man watching him play live too was like life-changing to yeah. me i mean it was just he's just cool he just was like that's who i wish i could be and i felt yeah. the same way about um asa i think is his name the lungfish guitar player i haven't said it in a long time i, I don't know if it's like asia or asa anyways he just wrote those really simple repetitive lines right. and he would play them the whole song and then dan would write these like poems over them right. and i love hypnotism with guitar i love yeah. that i love repetitive things that like my favorite guitarists in the world are from zimbabwe and they make it's very there's a type of music that they play there called Sangura. And okay. it's, it's like, you know, it's, it, it's a lot like high life and other, other uh, it's, there are similarities in like in scale kind of structure, whatever, you know, the sure. notes they're playing to a lot of other African guitar. That's not like rooted in like psychedelic rock or something like that, right, right. or like specifically Afrobeat or something like that. It's very upbeat music, Okay, but the guitars they always sound like they're either coming out of like a um, like a Roland One Twenty or like a um, or just straight direct in right. with like a chorus pedal, right. and they become with the bass. There's often a, a guitar player is holding down, and when you watch him play, it's fucking crazy. Um, but uh, this holding down, this just very like loopy kind of really intense uh, rhythm part. Right, and then the bass player's looping in and out with with that person, and you gotta send me this. Oh, it's so cool, and it becomes very hypnotic, and like I can listen to things that will last an hour. And what I love is when something's holding down a really cool rhythm, like like with a lot of some guitar players, and then the melodies over the top of it change, and they keep right. changing, and they build, and they come back, and they do. Like I could listen to that forever. Like it, it almost just... creates like an audio illusion too, because you you know you yeah. think the parts changing and it's not. You know, it sounds similar to, and I don't know if you're a fan, but uh, uh, Robert Fripp. You yes, know, big I, fan. I, oh big god, fan. 
It's it's it sounds like like a little bit like <laughs> you know like frame by frame or whatever where it's just you know and it just it's in seven and it just keeps repeating and how that guy had that discipline I mean uh, pun intended you know the indiscipline song where it's just this snaky thing that the mortal is going to mess up that one you know right, right. I'm going to put that one right. on a two you know totally. That's totally. and he said. He said his idea of practice is double picking for eight hours, just one note. That's I mean, ins- that's insane. I think you know what? Honestly, I, I was I've been thinking about that specific thing um, because I've started playing bass again, and I really love playing bass a lot. And sure. I have a seventy early seventies P bass with flat wounds on it, and then I oh, yeah. I made I made like a sponge thing for oh, it yeah. to dampen it, and I play with a felt pick, which I found out from reading like a Paul McCartney article. And yeah. so like dampening it, like James Jameson, like Paul McCartney's felt pick and all that kind of stuff. But I love it. And I love the sound awesome. and I love That's the flat awesome. wounds because you can kind of make that loopy sound. It's almost like I'm cheesy. So like there's fretless bass that I like, but oh, sure. But there, you know, I know a lot of people don't, but like I've been picking and trying to to play with my fingers which i had never done and so ju- i just sit that's what i do i just sit that's there going, dun, dun, that's dun, dun. <laughs> so, just but anyways that reminds me of that. Yeah. no it's great you know i i i find that every time i play a bass or a baritone guitar um i i always ride a riff i always do yes. when i take it myself yeah. out of my comfort zone i always oh shit there's something that i never would have thought of i just wouldn't have heard yeah. it you know um so so did was was Murder City Devils your first band like out of high school? Mm-mm. Uh the, so the first band I joined was in high school and I was actually playing bass. Okay. Um and it was like these cool political punk kids that were like super environmentalist and stuff like that and like they just had like you know they were the kids with like earth per, earth first patches and right, fucking right, iconoclast right. patches and sure. shit like that. And um I was like I was a fan and uh and I was able to to join that band playing bass and I played bass with them for a couple of years. And then after that, um, Spencer and then Andrea Zolo from pretty girls make graves and Derek also from the pretty girls make graves and cave singers and mercy devils. We started kind of like a hardcore punk band called area 51 that okay. toured around. And then we right after that, Spencer left because he wanted to do other shit and we the rest of the band stayed together and formed a band called Death Wish Kids that also toured around okay. for a while. Right. And at the same time, I had known Isaac, who had yet to form Modest Mouse, but it was like an idea. Basically, Isaac would couch surf with Spencer at Spencer and I's apartment. And then he'd always be, he's like the kind of guy that would put on like a motorcycle helmet and like walk around playing his electric guitar unplugged and stand in front of a, you know, like you're trying to watch like an old video or something and he's standing in front of you. Yeah, of course. Of course. course. The world needs those guys. Yeah. And so he, he asked me to play. And so, you know, that was one of the first incarnations of Modest Mouse that, that actually like made records and, and recorded and you know and played out and stuff was um was he and i jeremy the drummer and then this guy john who's in a great band also but um and we did that for like a year okay and uh he i left that band because it was kind of not going anywhere and then um 
And then he asked me to come back right when I was about to leave Death Wish Kids. It's kind of this, it was a fuzzy year in the sense of like everything was moving around a lot. So anyways, I went back um, on tour with them and practiced with them for like two weeks. Moved out of my house, quit my job. I think I broke up with my girlfriend, which is kind of harsh. Um, But like we hadn't been dating for very long at all. Um, But uh, anyways, uh, they were going on a U.S. tour. So like for me... There's no, I wasn't going to miss out on that, that, you know, but as I'm practicing with him, Isaac's kind of like, mm, he's not happy because he, he does, he's so used to not hearing another guitar player. Right. And, um, and so then he, like the day before we left, he was like, you won't be playing guitar, but, um, but like, you know, we want you to come in and help and like do merch and drive and do all that stuff. And we'll pay you uh 25%. And I was like, cool. Yeah, all right. <laughs> that sounds That's good. Fine. I'm yeah, good with sure. that. Yeah. And on that trip was when um, I kind of had had an idea for for this. I I mean, the original concept of Murder City Devils was that we were going to try it and sound like the Stooges, and right. we never did. We never even got close to it. And I think a lot of bands had that same idea at the same time. There's right. a lot of information coming out about like 70s punk with like Please Kill Me that came out in like the sure. mid 90s and stuff. Absolutely. So it was it was a way to kind of connect with something that felt more um distant to me. Like yeah. I, I knew the Stooges and I had a copy of Funhouse and like it meant a lot to me because um the producer of Funhouse is actually my dad's cousin uh no Don, Don Gallucci. Yeah. So oh. there's like a whole story there, but they grew up together and went to high school together and stuff. Wow. And um, yeah, and I awesome. called my grandma because I grew up in a big Italian family in Portland of all mm-hmm. places. And I called my grandma and I was like, D- what happened to Don? And she was like, oh, Donnie left because his mom wouldn't let him go on tour when the Kingsmen had their hit because he, you know, played on Louie Louie and all this. Oh, stuff. Oh, no yeah. shit. And so he moved to LA and no one's really heard from him since I was like, so it's really him. Like, that's amazing. Cause I'd never seen my name written behind anyone's first name besides someone from my family, much less the stooges. Yeah. I was, yeah. I couldn't, I, I literally like, I remember I was at a party when I like turned it over and looked at it and was like, what the fuck? It's <laughs> like, I didn't like crazy. Didn't make any sense. But anyways, when we, right when I got back from that tour with modest mouse, um, we started uh, murder city devils like within a week i loved that band and and i remember uh, you guys the the use of the farfisa organ was yeah. so well done um that bands tried to kind of do that afterwards i have a few in mind that you know um that never did it as good you guys were just a great you guys were just a great band and so my best friends here in town are a band called the riverboat gamblers oh yeah yeah and yeah mike and all those guys and they were they were huge fans. You know, their big dream was to like, you know, tour with Murder City Devils or play oh, shows with the guys I didn't and all that stuff. That. Yeah, I know their great. name and I've seen them at a festival. I don't know them personally, but yeah, yeah it sounds like I they're was just a great band. Guys. Yeah. So were you like, there was a, well, I would imagine there was quite a while where you were double duty, right? You were Murder yeah. City and those bands overlapped maybe considerably, huh? Well, the funniest thing was like the kind of the most hardcore band, like, like for us at that time, hardcore was born against. Um, hardcore sure. was, you know, like you said, like a kind of class and um, filth and right. like these, a lot of, you know, not quite like 
what we used to call crusty kids or whatever, you know, like not quite fully that not spiky hair kind of thing either. Right. It was like, like tragedy, it, those kinds of things, or it was kind of like, well, I'm trying to think, well, still, still a lot of, um, of DC bands and oh, stuff, yeah, sure. but a lot sure. of the bands that we loved were Oakland bands that, that weren't around anymore, but like a current one from that time that we loved and would play with a lot was dead and gone. Okay. Um, there was, there's this whole other thing too, which is that we were only an hour away from Olympia and we were all very into kind of direct action, political activism. So when that scene started and you had like carp, um, bikini kill was big, but they still played shows. And, um, and then like Bratmobile, um, you know, there's a million of them, but there was a band called Mulcatillo Fairies, and a lot of the members then went on to be in a band called uh, Behead the Prophet and No Lord Shall Live. And oh. I remember going down there, and I was oh, in this band called Link that was like Sam Jane, who was from where I grew up, like uh, and had moved down to to Olympia. He started a band called Link, and they were just like I just they just became my favorite band the first time I heard them. And, That's awesome he was like the one person that I always looked up to. He recently passed away actually, unfortunately. Um, But he, I always looked up to him because he did it. Like he went to a place that was like a central punk, like hub in the United States and like created this fucked up weird radical band and did it and went on tour and all that stuff. And so I just loved it. But there were a lot of, there's, there was kind of a lot of diversity in that scene. Um, But there was a lot of stuff where it was like, you know, the the girl whose name I forget, and um, uh, but was so awesome who played guitar for Beh- or for uh, uh, Fairies. She she just tuned to an open right. where you just bar your yeah, finger like an in e, for yeah, a power like chord. Yeah. yeah. Uh-huh, uh-huh. So, um, but I loved it, and I and they used to do things like they'd have like queer pride marches in the middle of their show and sometimes they'd go out in the parking lot and come back and stuff and it was like right. like the the blend of like feminism and activism and um pro queer pro you know it felt right to us so um anyways that was uh that was also a really heavy influence because that's where we would go every time we had the opportunity because it was right. so close um Anyways, but the Death Wish Kids and Modest Mouse overlapped, which was always very strange because Modest Mouse couldn't have been more different than Death Wish right. Kids. I think Modest Mouse couldn't have been more different than no band sounds or still has ever sounded like Modest Mouse. You know, that's I was yeah. so I was so impressed, amazed, and and happy that Modest Mouse broke out the way it did because it gave me hope that people still trying to push music as an art form and doing their own thing with it and and really trying to be original was still respected, you know, by, I guess, not really mainstream culture, but enough people were still going to go, no, I, I really like this. Yeah. And, and I mean, also that song is just, you know, you're, I hate to, to reduce it to that song, but you know, the one, the one we all know, uh, uh, on yeah, yeah. Okay. was so ubiquitous and so huge. And it was just such a catchy song. And I understand you did actually write that, that intro guitar riff as well. Yeah. Yeah. I wrote, yeah. I wrote the riff. Yeah. I mean, that's the, a... kind of, that's the kind of thing with guitar <laughs> though, man. It's like, you wrote that fucking riff. I mean, yeah. Holy shit. It's, you know, any guitar player would be like, God damn, you know, good on. I don't know. know. Congrats. I mean, I, it's funny. It's like, I, I remember, 
you know, at that time I had, this is after Emergency Devils had broken up in 2001 or 2000. And, you know, I, I spent a year trying to like, kind of, I would go play with different bands and the guys from the band um, from Emergency Devils, because Leslie had moved back to Detroit, but so the rest of the people in the band had started another band and it was more it was a little more like kind of heavy like more more melvin's and stuff and i like i it's not i don't know it's just i i could never as much as i can like bands that that do that i don't ever feel like creatively super inspired if i'm right. in the room trying like, it's just not me that's right. the only way i can really say it. it's just like doesn't sure. So I tried a little bit with that and then I tried a few other bands and stuff. And I was kind of like, fuck man, I don't know what the hell I'm doing here. Right. But I met this guy who was a, um, <laughs> he was, his name's Sean Reveron. And he, he, um, he and I started a band, uh, called uh gun called tension. And it was like, kind of like hip hop and indie rock and weird electro stuff. And, um, this was like 2001. So it felt very new and, and interesting. And he, he was just like coming from a different world because he grew up in Venice in Los Angeles in like the, the kind of like a suicidal kind of scene. Sure. He's older than me too. So, um, but anyways, uh, it was, that was really fun. But, um, but then I remember I had gone down to play with Isaac for a solo project he was working on called Ugly Casanova. And it just felt so good to play with him again. I mean, he's my favorite person to yeah. write with. So, I mean, uh, I love writing with like Spencer and Derek and stuff, but it's just different because we would like work on songs and, and try and finish, you know, like it wasn't, we, Isaac and I could sit down and play and it's always fun. It's basically right. it, just the two of us. You know? we, we need those people in life. You know, there's those we people do. where it just feels right. And it's not because of shared experience or it's not because of, hey, we've been doing this for a long time. It's just they're your people. They just something chemically works, something, you know, with the chemistry works. And, exactly. you know, going, going back to what you said about your, 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 your buddy that unfortunately passed away, we need those guys, too. We so need those guys sometimes that they're they're the people that got in a van and went and did it and showed mm -hmm. you that anyone can do it. Like, look mm -hmm. at me. I did it. And mm -hmm. because, you know. When you're young, it seems like that's a superpower. That person's a superhero. How the fuck do you do that? And then some guy just goes, here's how you do it. It's real easy. You get mm -hmm. in a fucking van, you have shows booked, you drive to that gig, and you, you just, and you're like, oh, shit, and it blows your mind open, you know? And then we do it for the rest of our lives until we die on tour. <laughs> <laughs> well, Basically. I mean, I, you know, it's such a fun time because, like, you know, obviously you haven't learned the hard parts yet. And, um, and so you don't know they're out there. So there's no reason to be sure. cynical. Um, and I graduated high school early from like an alternative school and I was already living on my own and Spencer had quit school. And so we were able to move into Seattle from the suburb where, cause oh, I grew okay. up in Portland. Then we moved to the suburb for like junior high and high school. And I was right. like, Oh, I want to fucking kill myself. And then um, <laughs> as soon as I could, we moved into the city and then, um, you know, that was like grunge time too. So we, there was no, like no one from C we didn't really identify with very many bands right. from Seattle that had, you know, it was mostly right. bands from out of town. So we wanted to go see them and we wanted to go be out in the world. And, right. um, 
as soon as we we had that first apartment and as soon as we moved out of that we, we were we were in punk houses for the next six six seven eight years you know and even after right. that i would only pay for like when i was in modest mouse and float on and that all came out and stuff like i was still paying 125 dollars a month for an apartment above the bar i worked at you know so it's like wow. that was just like the way it was so wow. you know we wouldn't move into a house unless it had a basement so that we could have shows and we could uh practice and do all of that but yeah. like i remember like the first time using book your own fucking life and and really like how important that was to have that i mean <laughs> that was like it really was it, it was really the was one connective tissue between everyone any band worth their salt in the 90s had book your own fucking life in their van they had mm -hmm. please kill me in their van mm -hmm. and a map a mapsco you know that yeah. fucking you know the big mm -hmm. ass with the binder looking shit that Fuck was yeah, scribbled yeah. and you know mm -hmm. and, <laughs> and, a, and and a shitty notebook hopefully with the right phone numbers absolutely or you were fucked <laughs> you know <laughs> you were fucked yeah you're yeah. sleeping in the van that night Well, let's get into like, so, so the gear over the years and maybe even what mm -hmm. you, you currently use, uh, because you know, we got to get a little dorky. Um, sure. Uh, but side note, you, I meant to say it earlier, the DC guitar players, um, from, you know, Jay Robbins to, I had Brian Baker. I've recently just talked to Brian yeah. Baker and he's a, a, a dear friend and, you know, we could just go forever on DC guitar players, but goddamn, all the, yeah. all the, all the discord guitar players were just uh. amazing. Jesus Christ. Anyway, and totally sorry. out of their minds sometimes too. Like they're totally, do, do you like, did you ever listen to like Monarchid or um, Circus Lupus or any of the Chris Thompson Circus bands? Lupus, but not, not Monarchy. Yeah. But you know, I figured out some weird little tidbit of information. Um, there was, so the guitar player from uh, Generation X. Uh, Tony James? Not Tony James. Um, or no, he played bass, right? Yes, or, yes, yes, yes. Yeah. I forgot his fucking, I, I, I pride myself on being nerdy and knowing shit like this. He started <laughs> no, a band okay. called uh, Empire, a huh. short-lived band that did one record and if you listen to it it is the template of discord and dc music and all of those guys oh, they shit. one it's like somebody got the record and taped it off for everybody and brian told me about this and if you get and i got it i got a copy i'll try to get get send it to you it's called empire oh my and gosh, it I was like freak out I would it's love that. it's the template it's like you 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 realize because you know everything that's super original there's always something behind it you know it's like yeah, where did they course. get it from yeah i mean um and now I got to look this up. So I, I'm so sorry. So was Brian saying that like all the DC bands that, that, that he was like confirming that they, that's what was like their yes. huge inspiration. That and was, then also fucking bad brains. Like, that was uh, uh, for sure. For I sure. Mean, Give me a break. I can imagine yeah, those I two mean, bands together. were like, Exactly. I mean, you know, but the, yeah, but this empire record, you, you, you hear all of the, um, the sort of influences you know, it's not super overt. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Uh, yeah. but, but, but you can it, tell. Yes, you absolutely can tell. It was it's totally there. And is you know, it in I, the sound too, or just the playing? It, it's it's kind of more the playing, you know what I yeah. mean? It's it's you know what? It's Derwood Andrews. God damn it. Bob Andrews. That's the okay. one. It was Bob Andrews. How did I fucking how did I I, I don't even know. I, I I my my uh my generation X uh knowledge kind of like 
Tony well, James and I, fucking I think it was because I think it's because Durwood, like his Bob Durwood Andrews. Anyway, yeah. he was the one. He went and started Empire and one record. That was it. Yeah. And then, like, I don't know who brought it to DC, but one yeah. somebody, and then it just infected the scene. Anyway, sidebar, yeah. sidebar. Uh, <laughs> so your gear back then, or is it is it is it stayed relatively the same, or no, no, where yet? No. First of all, I've never known anything about gear. I only, I mean, I, I, I know more, a lot more now, but like when I was a kid, I knew that I can, I'm going to tell you a very sad story. Go for it. So a friend of mine had, he played in a band, he played bass. He was like the kid that had the screen printing setup. So he did all the shirts for all the bands and stuff. He's a good friend. His name's Derek Linneman. He sold me his bass amp. And at the time, I didn't have the slightest clue of what it was. It was a 1964 Fender basement head. Wow. And I liked it, but I didn't know how to get the right sound out of it. Because I wanted to play like dirgy kind of fucking Adam from Born Against sounding guitar and hardcore bands. Right. So I fucking sold it. Oh, man. Or traded it for um, for just a shitty brand or you know probably early 90s gray carpet covered 112 combo um mm-hmm. fucking a solid state amp right. i wish i could remember the name of it was it crate it, no but it was like that it was okay. totally like okay. that yeah okay and um and i got here's the thing i got the sound that i wanted for That's those okay. specific bands only for a couple of years but i literally gave basically gave away a 64 basement which makes me fucking insane like yeah so anyways that was a good lesson to learn so i don't give up my i i i I try i don't sell things because that's good i just they're special to me and yeah yeah totally so anyways back then it was that yeah it could have been the basement but it was that and then i remember when murder city devils i was i must have still been playing that after or when Mercy Devil started. Oh, but the combo, I, the carpet yeah, combo. Wow. Yeah, but this is just like when we were practicing. Sure, sure, I can't sure. remember though exactly what I was. Pl- I might have also been borrowing stuff. That is a real mystery to me. Like those, I remember the one thing I very much remember is that I had a um, Spring Reaver pedal, and that was the first time that I just like that started a lifelong love affair with Spring Reverb and Good. the things yeah. you can do with it, yeah. and the the performance aspect of spring reverbs, uh, the way that you can play to them on stage. Sure. Sure. Uh, it's just like, so I use too much for spring reverb all the time and, but that's okay. Um, anyways, uh, then we, <laughs> then we signed to sub pop and, uh, they gave us a little bit of money and I was able to buy, um, my first real guitar, which was, a uh, 68 SG. All right. And yeah, it was cool. It had like the long bridge and the the uh tremolo bar. Yeah. Um and uh and then I got a 100 watt. It was like a super it was called a Fender Super 100 Reverb. Okay. And I never seen I never see them. It's kind of yeah. like Isaac like Isaac and Monty Mouse, he he found uh, something called a Super 6, a Fender Super 6, and it had six tens in it and it was oh, 100 shit. watts and he played three of them on stage i mean i couldn't you couldn't hear anything else but anyways right. it was like one of those weird fenders where it's like i don't even know right. 
but I had that. I love that. And then we got some equipment stolen. Um, so my SG was gone. Oh, and um, I, I hate hearing that. Yeah, it was a bummer. It was a bummer. And it was stupid. We should have been. It, I mean, it was all backstage. It was or not backstage, but like, you know, side stage sure. in an empty club. And we were kind of not paying as much attention as we should. And that was that. Just went. Yeah. So I from then I went into the abyss. For the rest of the Mercy Devils until our last year, pretty much, I just didn't know what to play. I tried different marshals. I could never get the sound that I wanted. Yeah. Um, because I don't think I understood the sound that I wanted. You know, right. like, I, I what I really wanted was to sound old, um, like 60s and and kind of trashy and yeah um, yeah like blown blown speaker with reverb yeah, or something yeah yeah you know like a you know what i really wanted i didn't understand i didn't understand like gain gain staging with pedals and all of that and i didn't understand yeah. you know to me it's like fuzz was just like distortion was like overdrive i didn't know the difference and like right. i should have and i didn't but uh a friend of mine at the time told he was playing a a uh gibson called um oh fuck i can't remember the name of it um it's like the bottom has the kind of looks like an sg but the top had like just went, oh an l6s like, that's it l6s that's yeah yeah so i bought one of those i'm a door really, no no i mean honestly it, it was cheap so yeah like, they're it, great guitars and it was i loved it it was like it, it just worked and so i played that and then I just went through amp after amp trading um, in for different ones and different ones. And somehow I'd always end up with some like newer, like super 800 something or other thingy. I don't know. And I just didn't like them. They, they just, they had, I didn't know how to use them. I just right, had right. no idea how to use them. And right. so then I met a friend um, in Seattle who was a nerd, like, and he understood vintage equipment in a way that, that nobody else that I knew did. Okay. And I was still probably, I was probably like 21 or 22 maybe. Um, and he was selling a high watt 100, 1971 high watt 100 and his, uh, 1973, uh, Finner custom telly. And, um, and he said, look, you know, I think that you would like these. And he was always trying to help me. Like, you know, he's the guy that I'd be, they would be like, you should try a Mustang. How's the sound that I think you might like? And then I'd try it and be like, it's not beefy enough. And he'd be like, let's right. put a hot rail in it and stuff. And right. so like, anyways, he really was like, look, this is going to sound weird to you. It's super clean. And you know, you're not used to playing over. You've only played Gibson. So I don't know how you're going to feel about the neck on the, on the telly and all that stuff. But I just looked at it and I was like, there's something about this combination that I just loved. And I yeah. plugged it in. And by that time, I kind of understood, I, I did understand my pedals by then. And so, you know, like I just had a MXR micro boost and I had pulled two of the twos out. And so it was like a 50 watt head. So it broke up a little easier. Right, right. Um, and linked the channels and did all the things you can do to try to get high watt 100s to break right, up because they don't want to break better. up. Yeah, yeah. Um, but that sound, that kind of Pete Townsendy sound yep. was like... Once, if you could crank it, like if you could really crank it with, I mean, I definitely would have played probably a tube screamer or some variation sure. of that. And then I just had the micro amp, but with that, I could get everything I wanted out of it. And finally I had like a sound that made sense to me. So that became what I play with. And, and honestly, if I'm playing a show now and we can bring our own equipment and we don't play very much, you know, but, um, 
but if it's somewhere around LA, like, and I can bring in my equipment, that's, I will always play that. that. No shit. So, yeah. so let me ask you a question. So, so that, 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 that's really interesting because, you know, Modest Mouse and Murder City Devils are two very stylistically divergent bands. Did yeah. that rig and that guitar specifically, did that work for both for you? Well, the guitar did. Okay. What I realized is that I wanted something different from Modest Mouse. And I think, you know, really the first time that Murder City Devils ever came home from a tour with money was the very last tour that we did. And we each okay. got, came home with $4,000 right. and it was like a really big deal. And, you know, sure. plus we worked and we were all full-time were bartenders and shit. So it was like, right. you know, it was a uh, cash business. So like, um, I was able to do a few things. One is I brought Pro Tools and started learning how to record things um, beyond my four track. And then I, uh, I bought a different amp um, and then, uh, which was the Super Reverb that I still have now. And okay. it's kind of my second favorite guitar amp. And then about a year or so into my mouse where I had come home with a little bit of money from tours that we had done, um, I was able to buy uh, a, another amp that's sitting in my living room actually i'm still playing that one which is uh bam master oh, which okay. just has that really beautiful vibrato it's like unlike any vibrato i'd ever heard and and then yeah. of course the super the super was an interesting one because um i had um my friend jim who played i don't know if he still plays in built to spill but he did forever okay. um he worked on amps and stuff and he 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 worked on that amp and and he uh when I got it back from him, he was like, do you know what this is? And I was like, well, I mean, I, I know it's a silver face, you know, late sixties or like, I thought it was like a 69 or 70 super, right. you know? And he's like, right. yeah, it's, it's the year's wrong though. It's a 68. Oh, and it was shit. the year when they were transitioning, but this is a blackface super. It was before, it was like this, the, the, and apparently they're, I don't know how rare they are, but it's, he was like, this thing's fucking rad because oh, it was it's a blackface but that was you they used the new look of the silver plating and the, right. and the, the silver mesh and everything wow so it's so, like right at the cbs takeover uh, you know the priest pre cbs are like yeah right wow. there and he was like it's so cool it sounds so good and um he you know he re he really liked it he did he was so sweet he was like very gentle with it and he loved it so much and like sure i still love that amp so i in modest mouse i i the whole time, the whole six years I was in Modest Mouse when I rejoined that band was uh, the Bandmaster and a 212 and then a Super together. Okay. So, so, and the Telly. So still Tellys. You're still Telly still guy. Telly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the Telly well, Deluxe, now. right? Now, now uh, Custom. It was Cust one of those, Telly you know, it was like black one with the humbucker and everything. Humbucker in the neck and then, uh, yeah. yeah, and then the toggle switch on the top. Um, so what do you, what do you, you were about, I cut you off. What do you, what are you into now? Now I just, um, <laughs> now I'll try anything. Like I got, uh, I got like, I got this orange came out with these, um, power amps The they're like, I can't remember what they're called, but they're kind of, they're pretty cheap and they're fucking crazy and loud. That's and great. I've been using like different weird preamps to just awesome. go into that and try to make it like, right. there's a, um, do you know, you know I'm, I mean, I'm sure you do the analog man pedals. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. Sure. So like one of my favorite sounds recently that I played with was that going into the kind of Echoplex, the mini um, preamp 
pedal, oh, okay. just okay. the one knob. I don't think yeah. it's called, you know, Echoplex. It's called, it has a name of the company or whatever. But Sure, sure. And that, so like the analog man just created this, it, it's the Astro Fuzz and it's not very, I don't, you have to drive it with something else to get it to be fuzzy to me, right. but it just sounds really like a out. fucked up overdrive, really. Wow. So I'd run that, but it was super thin and I'd have the tone turned all the way off and it was still bright and kind of thin, but it had the right sound. And then I run it through the Echoplex preamp pedal and uh, it would beef it up completely and add a little bit more grit. And then it would just be loud as fuck through that That's orange great. solid state. Like That's amazing. Yeah. It's I love discovering stuff with your stuff. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, so what, fun. what's keeping you busy nowadays? What are you doing? Like, like what's, what's. Uh, well, mostly um, my partner and I started a podcast company. Um, basically, like after I left Modest Mouse, you know, it was a weird time to leave. It was right after the Good News record came out with that had sure. float on and stuff like that on it. Um, I don't know. I felt like I needed a change or something. And um, I uh, went to audio school and then came back to Seattle. And really, it was like right at the time when people just stopped using studios and getting money to go to studios in seattle at least you know because really seattle has like sub pop but no one else is you know that no and even sub pop doesn't always want to pay for or didn't at the time always want to pay for a studio time and stuff so um and seattle had like three great probably more but three great producers that were gonna always do stuff there i was friends with them so i i you know it's like it it wasn't a i'm not gonna break out in seattle as a producer right so um i was working at a resource center for people with hiv aids that had started in the 80s and i had volunteered there forever and so i was working there and my friend gabe who's the roadie for mercy devils called me and was like i need a, a monitor person for mia and i was like sure so i went out and did monitors for MIA. And oh, then that's I, awesome. I just started touring. So I did front of house for the XX and uh, Cold War Kids and this band, Mike Snow. And they were all very different experiences. And, right. and to me, live sound, if I know someone has done live sound and they're not a dick, then um, that's the person I want to work with. Right. Over right. studio engineers, for sure. Yeah. Because yeah. they just know when you're there, like there's 30,000 people at a festival and you don't have a file and the, the preamps aren't even pulled up by the time you make your way out to front of house and the, the things are still getting rolled on and everyone's screaming at you because they're supposed to start like five minutes ago and you're yeah. pulling preamps up during the first song. Like that's, to me, that's as much of engineering as anything else. It's immediate problem solving. You know, Absolutely. you have to do it. You have no choice. You just have to do it. That's a real good way so, to put that. Yeah, 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 yeah. But that was a great experience. Then I ended up in the band Cold War Kids for a while and made two records and produced those records. And oh, right, um, right, right, right. Yeah. And then, um, and then about six years ago, I left the band and, you know, I just had a, uh, my, my daughter was two. Oh, and wow. okay. um, yeah, uh, she, actually, she had just turned three. And I, my, uh, her mom and I were going through a divorce. And okay. so I was touring a lot right then. And I had to get, a home together. Like I moved into a new apartment for Maria and I, and Mm -hmm. I had to create like a home for her, you know, not just the home she was used to living in, but I wanted her to feel like this was her place too. And it, and it, this was our home together and to have a really, a nice and place, you know, like a loving home together. Yeah. And, and I, and so 
it wasn't very long after that that I ended up just quitting because I, I couldn't tour anymore, you know. Right. And um, right. so since yeah. then, I, I was lucky enough to get a job as a radio producer for a NPR program called Bullseye. And oh, that's awesome. Yeah, it was really cool because that was the other thing I was really interested in all my life was radio. And, right. and then I started getting in podcasting. For, um, and then um, I met my partner Jane who was a producer at This American Life for 10 years and we ended up kind of we would just sit out on my back porch kind of going like complaining actually like this is what sucks about this part of thing is something you know and then eventually we're like why don't we just make a company that we can fix these problems for ourselves they might be unique to us who knows but we can fix the problems that we're having for ourselves and and be an independent production company and at the time there were weren't very many but now they're it's picked up and so i've been doing that for the last six years or so something like that that's so interesting that's so my my father was a radio dj my whole life that's so cool that's really yeah that's what he did he was like the all-night classic rock request hour like he would go to work at 10 and do it until like you know eight in the morning you must have the best record collection ever it's bananas yeah Um, i mean and 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 so i think this podcast thing for me has been trying to like impress the ghost of my father you know because that's all Mm -hmm. he did my entire like my dad always had a show and yeah. he always had the best taste of music and best records and he was you know he's always into like the heavier class like acid rock like yeah, he was into like yeah, yeah. vanilla fudge yeah, yeah. He, fully hawk wind yeah sabbath and you know then mm-hmm. then like like new wave of british heavy metal and stuff yeah, like yeah, judas yeah. priest and you know and budgie and you know all that stuff totally but he was like the first you know music nerd that i knew you know kind of real condescending about his taste and shit you know yeah uh, but anyway that's uh that's real that's fascinating. so cool that's yeah. really interesting yeah it was it was it was cool to have that as a dad in fucking sherman texas where everybody else's dad was this you know hick yeah. or whatever you know totally yeah. that's like a yeah. that's like a pretty high profile yeah it was cool he didn't make shit for money so there was a did you get to go to all the shows though i mean yes but you know where we were like an hour north of dallas so you know it nothing came up there i remember like yeah. like like um fog hat played oh, in rad. sherman and my dad's <laughs> so my dad did a remote from the fog hat show so we went to that and i was like five i was like oh shit you know whatever. that's dope You know, you've kind of said it earlier, but do you have one that got away, like a guitar that you've had to hawk or got stolen or, or something that you, you lament? And we've talked, you t- I actually did mention your SG got stolen. You got rid of that, that, that vintage uh, Fender. Do you got anything else? You know, I think that ex- like the experience of, of trading away what I had learned was like a really, really rad amp that I just didn't understand. Um, and then also having my first guitar, cause that, that SD was like, that was very special. I mean, that, that before that I played literally just off brand guitars. So it wasn't like, and they weren't cool. They weren't, it wasn't like, you know, fucking, you know, uh, harmony or like a silver tone or something like that. They weren't like, they were really random pawn shop, guitars that i didn't know that the name was unrecognizable and stuff and so like to get that that was a really big deal um well it's your first real guitar it's like we're never gonna forget that it's like it's like losing your virginity you're never gonna forget that person and then you you know that guitar and so many people are fortunate that they still have their first or whatever it might be but then i definitely got rid of of mine as well you know 
I I mean, other than that, no, I've I've really I really have tried to keep. I have like you know, right now for for some reason I'm playing the Johnny Marr Jaguar. Um, That's a great guitar. Yeah, well, he for some reason is really is that he gave he he made them give me one. You're um, gonna keep that, yeah. So yes, I'm gonna keep that, and and I love it. It's a weird. It just does all kinds of stuff, and yeah. Um, but I my guitar. The guitar that probably means the most to me, and that I, I, if I were to like leave on a month long tour now, is the, the mine would be my main guitar. It's actually a um, the Fender Custom Shop made me a Stratocaster, and I had never played Strats before in my life. There was something about it. I just started really, really wanting one, and at that same time, they had come to Cobra Kids and said, you know, we'll make you a custom guitar, and you can pick out the everything on it wow it wasn't like it wasn't like a signature or something like that it was just like we'll make here are all the components here's all the nicest shit i listened through each of their pickups and um kind of like did a shootout on each of their pickups which is hard to do because you know you're yeah it's it's nuanced Yeah. yeah so yeah but i kind of fell in love with these pickups that were called the like um ancho pablo or something okay. like that or pablo ancho i'm i'm probably probably butchering it um but it was a it was just a custom hand wound pickup that they had made right. and they're really really cool and other than that it was based off of the Jimi hendrix reissue 60 something or 70 something um white stratocaster body uh-huh. and i had a the first time and only time I have had a, a maple fretboard. Um, and uh, yeah, I just kind of fell in love with it. I mean, I, you know, obviously, like, I, I never and don't probably think I, 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 I probably don't deserve to have Fender make me a custom guitar. Sure I mean, sure you do. So no, I mean, I like I'm not that kind of guitar player. I love making music. I love playing guitar. But I'm not like the kind of person that like, you know, is someone's guitar hero or something or it's, it's really changed a lot of people's lives or created a whole new sound or something that would make me feel like it was worthy of that. So I took it. I'm not going to be, I'm not an idiot. So I'm going to have them make it as right. an offering. <laughs> right, but, right, right. But that guitar is really special to me too, because it's one of a kind and like, uh, as far as I know. And, yeah, um, yeah. you know, and so, but yeah, that was the, that, the Jaguar, the Tele. I used to play harmonies, especially in Cold War Kids, um, just old harmony meteors, which are impossible to play on stage and have <laughs> tune and stuff. But, um, that and my two my two fenders and my um high watt those are the things like if all i had were those and then i have an acoustic guitar that's the weirdest thing i've ever seen but i love it so much it's like it was one of those yamaha remember when people started freaking out about the yamaha red label like and they're oh they're just like martins and blah 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 blah. and i found this weird one as a metal bridge on it it's so weird but it's it's the most joyful acoustic guitar to play the action's perfect see i need i need that i need a better i I have a few acoustics and i need a better acoustic guitar you know i would be remiss to do a guitar podcast with you after you know you you and a, I thank you so much for doing it, and I'm so glad I got to talk oh, to no, you because no. you, you yourself, and and you're humble, and and all the best players are humble, and you definitely are as well. And I just think you're such a creative, awesome, amazing, cool 
guitar player and musician. Thanks, you too, by the uh, way. Well, thank you very much. Thank yeah. you very much. But but I would be remiss to ask, and we can close it here, but uh, what it was like, I mean, you, you were a part of the guitar team with Johnny Marr. So what was that experience like and what did you learn from that? Well, so, okay, so when I left Modest Mouse, Isaac and I have been close for a very long time and been through a lot of different things together. And, you know, we're making music when we were little kids and all that kind of stuff. And I had come back and then we had this, the band was at a point where it was almost like imploding and uh, Jeremy, the drummer quit and eventually came back, but he quit for that record cycle and everything. And we were just trying to figure out what the fuck we were doing. We had two producers and they quit and we lost our studio time. We honestly, like we spent the summer before making that record or the, sorry, the, it was actually winter before making the record in the spring. We were wondering if we, I mean, Isaac probably wasn't cause he's very confident, but I was kind of like, are we going to get dropped here or what's right. happening? You know, cause we're, you know, and him and Eric and I just sat in his base in his garage actually. And, and we played for through the winter and tried to get songs together and, and then our producers quit and all that kind of stuff. So we basically wrote the good news record. I would say probably 75% of it was written in two weeks and 25% had been written in six months, you know? So it was like, it was a very lopsided process and Jesse from the shins was playing drums with us. And we eventually got this guy, Benjamin Weichel, who's wonderful, wonderful person and drummer. Um, And going through that kind of like feeling like not that it's over, but that it's bad. It's not, we're not in a good place right right now, you know, and, and then having the record do so well and the experience of kind of just like pulling together and then a whole friendship and all that stuff. I think when I left, it was a little shocking, I'm sure, to Isaac, because why would I? You know, it doesn't make sure. any sense. Yeah. And so he <laughs> he wasn't like he was the kind of person where if you played the Smiths for him, he'd be like, hmm. I think it was mostly Morrissey. But I honestly, that he didn't like, so I don't think he like disliked Johnny Marr, but he wasn't a Smiths fan. And sure. I, I was, and I, you know, I, and Johnny Marr, of course, it was one of my guitar heroes because he's one of everyone's guitar heroes, basically. Um, sure. And he's the, he's just an incredible player. Um, yeah. And uh, so when I said I was leaving, Isaac was like, he kind of pulled me to the side in, of one show. <laughs> It was the first show of tours or the last tour I was going to do with them. And he was like, oh, yeah, guess who's uh, replacing you? And I was like, I have no idea. Tell me. I'm excited to hear it. And he goes, Johnny Marr. And I was like, (laughs) what? Yeah, fuck you. (laughs) What are you talking about? Like, where did you get Johnny Marr's phone number? Like, how do you fucking get a hold of Johnny Marr? He's like, yeah, he's going to come out. And uh, and then in an, and then he, they did this cover story with him and Johnny Marr on the cover of like spin or something. And when their next record came out, it was like dynamic duo or some bullshit like that. And I made the mistake of reading it, which I shouldn't have, but um, in it, he was like, yeah, well, you know, Johnny Marr was always one of Dan's favorite guitar players. So he just figured like we get the real deal. And, <laughs> and I was like, well, you certainly did. Cause I mean, he's in a different like universe as far as guitar playing is. Um, but I never met him. And until years later, I was doing sound for XX at a festival in like the Netherlands. I think it was Lowlands. And, um, 
he was walking into the grounds from the bus area and I was walking out to the bus area and we walked by each other and we both just kind of went like that. And he was like, he pointed at me. He's like, you, I need to talk to you later. And I was like, okay, cool. Yeah. I'm in the X with the XX in their dressing room. And he was like, cool. So then later and the XX were, you know, they were like 19 years old. Right. I remember that (laughs) band. Yeah. But he like busts into, um, into the dressing room and he's like, Dan, come on, let's go talk. And I was like, okay. And, it was really cool to meet him in a lot of ways. Um, you know, like you want to commiserate a little bit, right? Or you want to like find common ground at the very least, you know. And really, he just described that guitar that's sitting next to me. His uh, he, We talked for like 10 minutes about life. And then he told me about his guitar. And he talked to me <laughs> for like 40 minutes about every single component of the guitar. And I was like, wow, that's cool man or whatever that's really great right so that's my the extent of me and and johnny marr hanging out um or being around each other i wish so much i could have played guitar with him but i think i'd be embarrassed too then i misquoted and i that's something i should have known i i no no no. in in my head i guess i thought for some reason you guys were but you didn't overlap. As a matter of fact, it it was it wasn't very long no. after. Yeah, he he he. No, he, he was specifically you. replacing me. <laughs> right, and you know what's so, funny is now that you mentioned that quote, I do remember reading that article when that happened. Oh, you do? Yeah, I do remember yeah. reading that article. Oh, yeah. I mean, I'm the kind of person that like I don't read reviews. I just I don't want to read good reviews, and I don't want to read bad reviews. I think okay. they fuck with you. Like I sure. like if if I read a good review, then I start believing it, and if if I read a bad review, then I start really you know it's it can be hard, and so right. I just stay away from them and just kind of like I'm not on social media at all. I don't I'm not really you know. I I do Facebook like mm-hmm. an old man, but with reviews, I believe I read the good ones, and if I read a bad one, I just don't believe it. <laughs> yeah, good. That's the that's the right way to handle things. It's, it's the so same hard. thing with podcasting too. You know, yeah. it's like my my partner Jane and I made a show that was that did pretty well, and there were a lot of reviews and stuff. And and she was the host, and so she, you know, it's painful to hear. Sure. Well, especially that there was also all kinds of like weird misogynist shit in that too. So that was a whole different thing. I'm not. I shouldn't compare the two. But for for me, you know, I, I remember looking at that magazine cover and. You know, I felt a little bit lost. I didn't know what to do. And I knew like, don't, I was just like, don't pick that up. Like the cover tells you all that you need to know, you know, like it's a big, it's cool. It's the cool thing. They moved on. They're doing this thing now and whatever. And it was your choice and whatever. And then I started reading it at a fucking bookstore and I got to that line and I was like, I hated it and loved it at the same time because like, kind of felt harsh but at the same time it's so wrong that it doesn't it i was like this is such a like put on because he wasn't the guitar player i talked about all the time ever i liked him i loved his guitar playing but i wouldn't talk to isaac about that and i wasn't trying to imitate him because there's no way i possibly could i there i do not have the skill level to play most of his songs he's imitable anyway though it's impossible to 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 imitate john i mean people try but no one sounds like johnny moore that's why he's johnny moore yeah exactly Yeah. yeah he's the one that should you know and does he has a signature fender but like he's the type of person i think of when you think of getting a custom guitar from fender you know right but um Anyways, it was it was kind of cool. I have to admit, like being able to say, like, "Oh yeah, you know, like um, I got replaced by Johnny Marr." <laughs> yeah, it's great. It's fucking cool. Great. Like it kind of felt cool. You know, could have been worse. But well, um, 
in, yeah. in my ignorance, I, you really sort of were a part of a guitar duality with him because he replaced you and he ended up playing all of your stuff for his duration of his career with Modest Mouse. That would, you know. I mean, the sad, one sad thing to me, really sad to me. Well, there's a few things, actually. One, the single off their next record was called Dashboard. And I thought the guitar playing on that, it was kind of when they entered a phase where the dynamics started to kind of leave and it was just like these full on mixes with tons and tons and tons of instruments and all of this yeah. stuff. So it wasn't like, I liked the song. I thought the song was like fun and catchy and cool and all this stuff. And the mix was a little harrowing kind of, um, but like Johnny's playing on that song, I was like, Holy shit. It's yeah. such a cool guitar line. It's all over the place, but it's really cool. And I never got to see him play any of the songs that I wrote. I would have loved to have seen it. I mean, I like that's something if you would have told me that when I was in high school that one day like the that Johnny Marr would be playing a song that I that I wrote the music to, it's just who who would ever think that? Well, and that's, like that would happen. And, and therein lies my like my 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 last question for you like a revelation in your guitar playing life. Who you know, when you're a kid and you're getting influenced by these guys, who, you know, who would have thunk that just doing this thing takes you there and that one day the guitar player for the Smiths would be playing the stuff that you wrote. You wrote an iconic riff. You gave the world this thing that is ubiquitous, that that if you're a guitar player, you know that riff. And you wrote that. That's and it's weird. Just, I never think of it that way. Oh, I do though. <laughs> I do though. It's so it's amazing when 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 you know um, Mr. Joe Plummer uh, that you know does this Joseph. is yeah Mr. Joe Plummer when he when he you know told we were talking about people to get on for this podcast I was like I would love to talk to that guy because you did this insurmountable thing you you wrote something that that first note could come on and. You know, most people in any given room across the world, not just the States, not just whatever, they're going to go, oh, I know this song. And I think as a, as a far as an accomplishment as a musician, well, shit, there's no higher bar. And, uh, and uh, I never amazing. think of it that way. It's very flattering to hear you say that. It's hard for me to accept it because I can't really process that. <laughs> also, I think uh, Isaac's little guitar melody is as iconic. Uh, it has to be more iconic probably than that part. But but I would say that I'll leave you with one thing, which is that my favorite part about that riff is that if the album opens with a song called The World at Large and then it goes into Float On and they kind of there's like a transition and they don't like, there's no cut like one ends and the next one starts. So the thing that I love about those two songs is that the world at large is the actual original guitar part. Oh, so they're the exact same chords. They're the same notes. They're the same, everything. There's only one, one chord progression through two songs. That's it. That's and the great. world at large was how I originally started playing it. Float on was how we, me and Jeremy, Jeremy were, we're like jokingly playing it one day, just goofing around having fun. And then we ended up liking it. So then float on became that. And the course of float on is just the world at large. And so it was really interesting to me that no one ever said anything about that. <laughs> no one ever said anything that yeah. the first two songs, like the first like seven minutes or whatever of this record are just one chord progression over and over again. And so, so you, you saying that just now blew so many people's minds. 
And they're going to go well, back, I oh, bet shit. They're, no, I'm sure they're just like, But it's an audio illusion. It's like an audio illusion. It's not an optical illusion. It's an audio illusion. And yeah. it also kind of speaks to what I was talking about in the first place, you know, which was, which is to me, if I get, if I can feel an emotion from one chord progression and it's played for 10 minutes and there are different melodies weaving in and out, I'm as happy as I could possibly be. Well, and that's actually what happened with those two songs. So I think that's a perfect way to bookend this, Dan. <laughs> yeah. Well, it was Thank nice talking to you. Thanks for having me. Such a pleasure talking to you. I, I feel like I've made a friend now. And uh, yes. If there's Definitely. anything this podcast is worth, I think that's that's everything. So awesome. thank you, Dan Gallucci, and uh, yeah, man, I uh, hope to see hope to see you in person soon. Me too. Take, Take care. care. It's great to meet you. You too. Bye. I believe I made a new friend there. You know, we were sitting there and looking at each other. You know, while we were doing that interview and. I feel like I made a friend. I feel like I can go through. He lives in Los Angeles. I can go through Los Angeles and I can hit him up. Hey, Dan, I'm in town. Let's hang out. Let's let's do this for real. Let's do this IRL, as the kids would say. Anyway, I hope you enjoyed that. And I hope you enjoy this podcast. And, and I'm so glad you, 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 you have been listening and hopefully you keep listening. I'm going to thank you. And I'm also going to thank the folks at Jim Dunlop and MXR Pedals. It's just the best products out there. If you're a guitar player, if you're a musician, and you don't already have any of the products, which, come on, let's face it, you, you do, but you need to go out and get yourself some. That's going to include the Tortex guitar picks, all their great cables, uh, the Jim Dunlop Crybaby Wad, all the MXR pedals, just every amazing thing they do. Uh, they're great folks, and we love having them on board. I would feel remiss not to leave you with a great example of Dan Gallucci's guitar playing, you know, we're going to have to go with the Float On riff by Modest Mouse because the guy wrote a ubiquitous guitar riff. And who can say that? Who can really say that nowadays? Do you know what I mean? Do yourself a favor. Check out any of the wonderful Murder City Devils records that Dan played on and uh, all of that great stuff. But, you know, we have to go with Float On. The guy wrote this intro guitar riff. He wrote the riff. He wrote the song. It's going to be off the good news for people who love bad news record by Modest Mouse. And this is Dan Gallucci. Check this out.
Oh. Uh.